Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History puddle. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh yeah, so easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you into Full Slate of Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me on Gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Follow the Gambling Podcast at Full Underscore Slate Underscore Pod. Also shoot me a follow at G Underscore Frank 6. For the rest of my sports takes, movie takes, whatever's on my mind, uh, Alex Uplinger, our jack of all trades, uh, is at Alex Underscore Up 7 and manages that podcast account as well. Uh, as it is... The most wonderful time of year in the eyes of some, and it's certainly, I believe, Thursday and Friday as we record here on a Tuesday night. You probably listen, perhaps on a Wednesday, but I believe that Thursday and Friday of this week are the best two weekdays in all of sports with the wire-to-wire, wall-to-wall March Madness action uh, that we'll have with 16 games on Thursday and 16 games on Friday uh, to uh, complete the first round of the NCAA Men's Basketball Division One tournament. But without further ado, let's bring on our guest. He is Jared Smith, a betting analyst for Fox Sports Radio, for VEASAN, and also for Live on the Line, as you can follow him on Gambling Twitter, at Jared Lee Smith. Jared, it's really good to have you on board. How are you doing? It's great, great to be here. Um, I agree with your sentiment. This is, I would say, because of the volume of the games compared to, let's say, an NFL postseason week, which I would say is right up there, this might yeah. be my favorite week of the year. Because, again, you get 32 games the first two days, whereas the entire NFL postseason, I think, is somewhere right around there. So it's it's really um, it's really a spectacle. Well, we always like to allow the guests some time to brief us a little bit on his background. I noticed you are a Penn State alum, so... I imagine you got to be pretty excited with the job Micah Shrewsbury has done this year. We'll see if they can keep him after the season, but probably uh, not. Yeah, probably not. But <laughs> regardless, but it's fun must... while it lasted. Right now, I guess. Well, and hey, I mean, we'll get to the game against A and M, but certainly uh, nice to see the Knicks doing something on the hardwood, right? Yeah, and again, this is a program that's really. Um... I don't want to say struggled because they've definitely had their moments, but I think the expectations because of the conference they play in and the budget that the athletic department has and just overall what a great football school it is. Like we're seeing it with a lot of these really good football schools, Alabama being the first one that comes to mind, just how much life is getting breathed into the basketball program. Penn State's never had that. And this year, I don't want to say it feels different, but maybe the coach is really the big difference. And maybe that's what sets them apart, I think, a little bit from some of the other programs in their conference. Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, it's funny. I went to Temple, so I'll go back to, uh, I'm sure, a game that you probably remember, the Juan Fernandez shot against the Taylor Battle. Yeah, let's not talk about that. 
<laughs> well, I was talking to a friend yesterday. So I, I tend to Penn State from 04 to 08. So I really didn't become a Penn State fan until I got involved with the school, like early okay. 2000s. So I, I wasn't around really for the Crispin brothers when they made their run to the Sweet 16. So in reality, as a Penn State, you know, during my tenure at Penn State, which is from 04 on, I've seen more Rose Bowls than I've seen NCAA tournament games wow. in 20 plus years. Three Rose yeah. Bowls. And only one, as you mentioned, the Rudy Fernandez game um, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy to think of it that way. And yeah, I yeah. Mean, you guys are always a football school. Are you are you from the area, the PA area? I grew up in South Jersey. I mean, I'm so I was I'm from all over. I was born in New York City, and I lived there till I was five. And then my parents moved to South Florida. And then after that, there was another promotion that that my mom got, and we moved to D.C. So I kind of grew up all over the Eastern Seaboard. But for the most part, I consider New York City my home base. I'm a, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm a Jets fan. Rangers, Knicks, and then Yankees, Jets. I, I always thought it was Yankees, Giants. It is trivia. The 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 trivia question there is why, and the reason is because the the Giants used to play at Yankee Stadium and the Jets used to play at Shea. But obviously, over time, the barriers between those franchises have kind of eroded a little bit. And it just so happens that my family, which was a big Yankees family growing up, we had season tickets. My grandfather yeah. was really close friends um, with Gene Michael, the former scout. So I used to go to the uh, the spring training games in Fort Lauderdale a lot. And I was close with the team back in the early 90s. But my family also had Jets tickets growing up because Giants tickets were too expensive uh, oh, at, sure. at Meadowlands. So the Jets tickets were a little cheaper. So my family bought season tickets to the Jets. They weren't football, really a big football family. Um, and I just grew up loving the Jets, you know, in the 90s when they made the run with Parcells. And and that was a fun year. Belichick um, was the coach twice, but never the coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was 98, 99, like right in that time. And then after that, they had a couple of good years with Mark Sanchez, went to the AC Championship game. So I had a good run in my early years. 94, I was eight years old when the Rangers won the Cup and the Knicks in the, in the 90s were yeah. really good. But so early on in my sports life, Yankees I had, had really good around teams. that time. Obviously, the Yankees every year were expectations right. high. But and then since then, it's been a downturn. But Penn State didn't come about until, you know, I was getting ready to go to college. And okay. I was actually a Syracuse fan growing up because my, my cousin who I was close with went to Syracuse. Okay. So I was a big Syracuse fan during the, during the 2000 times when Carmelo won the, won Bello, the title right. three. And that was around the time that I was looking at colleges. And I went to a lot of journalism schools, Wisconsin, uh, Northwestern was on the list, UNC. But when I walked on the Penn State's campus, I saw it for the first time when I went to Happy Valley, I absolutely fell in love. So awesome. I, I, I settled on Penn State and, and the rest is history, right? Uh, okay. Well, before we continue, you, you, when you say you're a Jets fan, I have to ask about what your personal feelings are with all the Aaron Rodgers drama. Uh, that's a good question. I was actually thinking about <laughs> it earlier today. So it's funny cause you're catching me at a time where I used to have a daily show. Um, and now I don't have a daily show anymore. Now I work a lot of weekends. So during the week, I'm actually, I have to keep my thoughts to myself for the most part, except for whatever <laughs> I tweet out, which I try to be as buttoned up as possible these days. Cause you know how toxic Twitter can be, but yeah. Listen, I, I think the Aaron Rodgers stuff is about as toxic as you can ask for in terms of chemistry. I, I've never I've never seen a situation like this where, let's be honest, this might be the first trade, major trade, like serious, high leverage trade in NFL history where neither team actually has any leverage. It's only the player involved <laughs> that has all the leverage. You know, it's funny you say that because I actually wanted to look up because I thought to myself, well, I know Rodgers is still under contract with the Packers. Of course he is. He's but, like $50 million next year, and the Packers don't want to pay it, so they have right. no leverage. 
And but so the Jets have up, pushed all their like, chips into the middle no because trade. they passed on all these other guys. So they have no leverage. And now they're signing players that they don't want, but Aaron does. It's bizarre. Yeah. It's bizarre. And I don't think it's going to end well, but it'll be fun. It'll be entertaining. It's New York. No, it's funny because like I thought to myself, well, does wait, does Rogers have a no trade? And he doesn't. But I guess it's a de facto no trade because he can just retire if he doesn't like the setup. Exactly. It, 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 it's he has neither team has any leverage in this trade. And I think both teams just want it to be over. They're willing to do whatever is necessary. Basically, it's desperation, frankly, yeah. that to, to get this done and to move on. The, the Packers have felt like probably they've been held hostage by Aaron Rodgers for three or four years now. Right. And and the Jets. Woody really it's, it's obvious to me that this is a Woody thing and Woody really wants Aaron. And I think this goes above Joe Douglas's head. Granted, I don't know any of this for sure. This is just how I view the organization structure. Sure. I think this decision goes way over Joe Douglas's head. I don't think he has a whole lot of say in what's happening with Aaron Rodgers. And unfortunately, he's probably not loving the Lazard deal. He's probably not going to love signing Randall Cobb. But I mean, this is this is what it is. Also doing business. Yeah, like I just I, I uh, unfortunately the Jets because they put Rodgers in front of Carr. And in front of everyone else, those other guys wanted jobs. And this is this is the time that they find jobs. Aaron is hold. He said he wasn't going to hold the the, the 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 Packers hostage. He is holding the Packers. I mean, this is free agency has started, and he is still not under contract with the new team that he wants to play for in 2023. It is a bizarre situation. Neither team has leverage. I hope it ends soon, but I really have no. Actually, no. It's going to end tomorrow because he's going to go on McAfee's show and yeah. tell everyone where he wants to go. But it reminds me of the decision, right? The, like the LeBron yeah. decision with Jim Gray. Like it's just if it, those who forget history are doomed to repeat it, and that's kind of what it feels like we're we're going towards here. All right, well, let's transition a little more into how you know your background with the gambling space and kind of how you feel like it's evolved. I certainly feel like to an extent there's a lot of oversaturation. Everybody kind of thinks there's an ex- they, they are an expert, uh, and I just you know one of the things that we bill ourselves up to be here is we're just a couple guys that like to watch sports and throw a few bucks down on the side for some, you know, additional interests. And, you know, however it goes, uh, neither one of us, myself or Alex, are uh, pretending to be people that are putting six-figure bets down or things like that. So that's kind of the vibe we set out here. And, again, I do think that there's a lot – you talk about the toxicity of Twitter, and there's a lot of, you know, gambling handicappers on there that just throw out plays and, you know, here's my – 18 money line parlay on NFL Sunday with the big eight favorites on the board. So I th- that's the big thing for me in terms of how it's changed. And I think it's for the worse, unfortunately, that we do have this oversaturation. But just tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into the space um, and, and what you've seen in terms of trends the last five years. Analysis of the space is pretty sound. I mean, I, I think there's as an industry develops, which this is an industry it was very much in the dark for a number of years. Now it's come to the light and it's still kind of forming its identity. And I think over time it will balance out just like any industry does. But right now it's also being escalated by the social media lifestyle that we live every day, which is people are on their phones constantly 24 seven. They have addictive personalities. Gambling is addictive. It's an instant gratification society that we live in. People want to see results. They want to see big, splashy things. They want to be entertained. They want to be wowed. And I think there's a lot of people taking advantage of that on social media by posting those parlays, by, you know, clout chasing and all these other things. And and listen, that's 
that's what social media is. I think it's on the consumer to educate themselves and evolve and become smart enough to follow the right people. Cause there's a lot of good people out there doing a lot of good work. And I think it's just, it's just going to take time mm-hmm. to kind of sift through it all my background. So I have been, I started out just like everyone else. I was a gambling addict. I used to play poker in my mom's basement when I was 16. I would deposit offshore bet on baseball <laughs> games when I was young and spend too much money on those things and not enough money on, you know, things that I should have been spending money on throughout college. And we were degenerates. I mean, I, I remember 2007 during the Giants Super Bowl run. My friends are all Giants fans at Penn State. We all bet on every money line every week. You know, I mean, it's just it, there was no analytical reasons for it. We just like to gamble. But then obviously, once you learn and you make a lot of mistakes and you piss away a lot of credit card bills and a lot of max out a lot of accounts, you learn. Um, and I would say in my 20s, like later 20s, I started to kind of be a little more analytical with my process. That's also around the time that I, so I was working in broadcasting this whole time. I was, you know, radio, TV. I worked for minor league baseball, local TV. Like I made that circuit. I worked all over. I don't want to give you my resume. It's not that uh, exciting. (laughs) But in right around the time I turned 30, my early 30s, I left the broadcasting business and I got into finance because I was settling down. I got engaged. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of future with TV. So I, I, I went, I became a financial advisor. I studied, I took my, all my exams, licensing exams. I'm, I'm legit. And it was at that time, you know, I would say about five years ago, maybe seven years ago, I really started to change my gambling style because I started to learn risk management, buy low, sell high, you know, contrarian, all this stuff. Um, And that's really what turned me, I think, into someone who can be successful at talking about gambling. And then Mm -hmm. the industry evolved, obviously, in 2019, about three years ago, four years ago when Passport was repealed. And then all these networks started to pop up and I got a job for SportsGrid. And the rest is history, right? Because it just all kind of took off from there. But I really think it was the time away from broadcasting, working in finance, that kind of changed the way that I view the gambling industry. And I think it, you know, gave me a little credibility, I guess, to 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 be an analyst. And I've been able to kind of parlay that, pun intended, into a pretty successful run at this. And I love doing it. It's a blast. I love being an, uh, a voice of responsibility for what I think is a very irresponsible generation oh yeah Um, i you know i'm okay with being the dad i have dad bod dad jokes like i'm cool with that i'm in my mid to late 30s i'm not trying to be cool i'm not trying to be hip i'm not trying to be like a male model you know on instagram like i just i just love what i do i love talking sports and i love helping people bet it's fun well that's awesome though i I definitely relate with a lot of that just a guy that likes sports and likes to bet on sports so without further ado let's get into the rotation we'll go in chronological order uh and just run through some of these games uh you know and i'll give some rapid fire thoughts of my own there are a a good deal of plays i like but not included in those is the first game on thursday uh 12 15 p.m eastern time the maryland terrapins the eighth seed in the south region taking on the virginia or excuse me the west virginia mountaineers uh and i i'm sure you can maybe speak to this one a little bit more as uh you know a big 10 guy maybe saw a little bit of maryland this year uh we are seeing west virginia as a short favorite in this game yeah i i think west virginia is probably the right side here i didn't i i thought maryland at two and a half was going to come down a little bit i bet maryland plus two and a half the market didn't really move it went down to two gained about five or ten cents i think on the money line and then i i looked into some of the you know some of the a little more digging deep into into what Maryland was this year. And I didn't love the coaching matchup. So I came back on on um, 
on WVU money line and I'll hope, you know, maybe it'll land too, but I, I don't feel very confident on this game. You, I do that a lot. By the way, I know that sounds nuts, but I do that a lot with a lot of the, 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 the shorter seated games. Um, I'll make a play early on a dog. If I think the line's going to move towards them, like right when the line drops and, and some, some I'll keep, but others that when I, cause I don't do any research on the game when I fire away and it's really hard when the lines drop, they move very quickly. They can move a point, right. two points in 30 minutes. So you don't really have time to like research the game and look at the matchup and digest it. So I'll go on gut instinct a lot with a lot of these eight, nine, seven, 10 matchups. I'll, I'll bet the dog ATS with the hope or the favorite on the money line with the hope that I get some CLV and I can come back on the other side. Didn't work out with this game really. So I just, I kind of used it as a wash. I came back on WVU. The really the 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 nugget that stood out to me here was Kevin Willard has really been bad in, in opening round tourney games, and Bob Huggins has been good. So I, I think West Virginia's got the coaching edge, evenly matched game. I, I think West Virginia probably wins, but it's not a great betting angle game, I don't think. Okay, I want to get into a game that I'm kind of intrigued by, and it's something that I'm going to say a few times here on the course of the pod and plays that I like. And this is the next game that tips on Thursday involving a mid-major in the Furman Paladines. Uh, taking on the West, excuse me, the Virginia Cavaliers. This also a South region game. And I'm interested and have bet Furman. I got it at plus five in the hook. Um, and Jared, the thing that I always find interesting, particularly about mid-majors, is if they can shoot and if they can score and they get in that underdog role, they can become dangerous pretty quickly because they're the ones out there with nothing to lose. Maybe the favorite gets a little tight and I, I also think, by the way, just a generic bracket observation that I had this year was a lot of these 12s through 15s are legitimately good teams. And it's not just I don't think you can pencil in the fours, five, sixes or excuse me, the threes, fours, fives, et cetera, in, into the round of 32, because I think there's a lot of talent here with a lot of these teams. And I'll get into some of the other ones that I like. But Furman can score, as I said, 11th in the nation in points per game. and with West, or excuse me, with Virginia, I don't get the same sense of mystique and dominance that you have with previous Virginia teams. And obviously with Virginia, you know that they like to slow the game down and keep the game in the 40s and 50s. Duke did just get to 59. Lowly Louisville scored 60 on them uh, in the beginning of the month. And so I, I just look at some of that. Duke got hosed in overtime in a game in Charlottesville about a month ago and was able to score in the 60s. So I'm not expecting Furman to score the 80 points a game that it usually gets, but I expect Furman to be in that upper 50s, low 60s territory, which is enough to at least cover five in the hook. So I think Furman is definitely live here. What do you think? Uh, I think Bob Ritchie's a really good coach. Um, I don't know if Furman wins the game. I, I do think the style they play can cause Virginia a lot of problems. And when you look at Furman's games, when they've managed up, listen, they play Penn state really close and Penn state is the opposite of Virginia. <laughs> they're, they're just, they're not at the, you know, Penn state shoots a million threes, Virginia doesn't. The other game that caught my eye on Furman's schedule this year was at NC state where they got, you know, kind of run off the floor a little bit, but again, NC state's a fast tempo team shoots a ton of threes. That's not Virginia. So I, I think the style here is favorable and Furman isn't going to face a team that's going to try to run with them. You know, they have a contrasting style. And I think that, that helps Tony Bennett two, three and seven against the number in round of 64 games. So Virginia hasn't been good in these spots against the spread. 
And I think Bob Ritchie and the style that they play, the Paladins have a have a decent chance to be live here. I, I'm on Furman plus five and a half. I didn't bet the money line. I I put I think Furman in my bracket. Actually, no, I have UVA in my bracket. Um, but I have them losing to the San Diego State in the next round. So maybe I, I'll flip to Furman. But I I think this is going to be a tight game. I I, I agree with you. Okay, uh, another game that figures to be tight is the third game on the docket. That's the Utah State Aggies taking on the Missouri Tigers in a 10-7 game, also in the South region. Utah State a short favorite, it appears here, and I'm always intrigued by those lower seeds favored over the higher seeds. It kind of feels like the postseason version of the unranked favorite over the ranked team, which is usually a pretty popular system here. I don't have much in terms of what I want to do from an investable strategy in this game. How, how do you look at it? Thank you talk today here. And so I, so first of all, yes, that unranked home favorite thing was very popular this year. The lower seeded team's favorite does not have quite the same ROI. Um, 29, 27 and one. So okay. it's not a very act. I would say it's not an actionable trend. I think you have to dig deeper and, figure out a way to bet the game, uh, you know, just based off the matchup. But this matchup is not good for Missouri because they give up a ton of threes. And that's what Utah State does. Now, I think the ball handlers for Utah State might be a little overwhelmed. SEC, you know, athletes from Mizzou and Dennis Gates likes to play fast. And we'll see how Ashworth and those littler guards handle that. But I think I think Utah State's going to shoot 35 or 43s in this game, and I think if if they go in, Missouri's really going to struggle to win. All right, I suppose we won't spend a ton of time here on the 116 matchups, but those are the next two in chronological order: Kansas and Howard, Alabama against the winner of the game that's about to tip between Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and Southeast Missouri. Um, you know, we do know in the Kansas game. I believe it's a 22-point line that Kansas is laying, uh, total of 146. Bill Self will be back. Um, you know, I know sometimes, I don't know if it's an actionable trend, but like that whole hangover with the defending champs, like maybe that's an angle if you think the number's a little inflated, but I'm obviously not getting involved in either of these 116 games. Oh, I kind of like Kansas. And the reason why yeah. is is – the trend this is this has been a very actionable trend in the tournament and i tweeted these out this was one of the ones that i tweeted out this week i have a by the way i do have a, a trends thread with a lot of little nuggets that i think uh, are fun to chew on this week because i do think not all trends are created equal certain trends are really good at painting context around what's happening instead of just the overall long term backdated view I actually think some of these trends, this one specifically, does do a good job with context. Teams coming into the tournament off a blowout loss. It doesn't happen often because usually if you're getting blown out in your conference tournament, you're probably not making the field of 64. But it does happen occasionally. And if you are coming off a loss of 20 or more, teams are 22-11-1 and one in the round of 64. Wow. Um, and Kansas obviously got blasted by Texas in the Big 12 final. So I jumped in at Kansas laying 20 and a half. I mean, I don't need to go through the handicap of why they're better than Howard. That obvious <laughs> is, you know, I think that's obvious. But it's more of just the buy low, sell high mentality of that trend that I think is very intriguing. And you get a college kid, college team that is clearly pissed off after getting their butts kicked. 
and I could see this being um, a, a pretty big blowout because let's be honest, Howard's really bad and the Miacs really struggled in this tournament. Sure. Uh, let's stay in this South region. And you talked about San Diego State, a team that you have getting to the second weekend in your bracket. Uh, they are five-point chalk against Charleston. And uh, gosh, it sure feels like College of Charleston is going to be a very trendy dog in the round of round of 64. So tell us a little bit. Uh, is this just kind of a fade of the trendy dog? What do you what do you you must like some things about San Diego State if you got them into the second weekend? I think the Mountain West is overbaked into this trend and, you know, everyone's going to be fading them because of of what we've heard in prior seasons. I think this Mountain West is a little different, though. Um, for example, they actually are in the top 10 in three point shooting percentage this year as, as a conference. Um, and they're at top eight, actually. Um, so this is not your granddad's, you know, uncle's Mountain West like they they run, they shoot. They're a little more up-tempo than prior conferences. Obviously, Utah State, a big reason why. New Mexico, a big reason why. But even the San Diego State team. I mean, last year, San Diego State was 167. And we view San Diego State in very high regard, even last year. They were an eight seed in the tournament. Yeah. They were coming in with a lot of momentum. They were still outside the top 160 in, in Ken Palm's offense efficiency ratings. This year, they come in 100 spots higher. And they're not a great shooting team, but they're much better than they were last year. Um, again, about 50 spots higher in the EFG rating. So it, it's just I just think they're a little bit of a better offensive team than prior than prior San Diego States. Sure. And they can they can run a little bit. They've got that athletic guard, um, the little guy Trammell who can move. And I think their their defense obviously is a top 10. I mean, they, they have the defense and the defensive profile to make a final four run, frankly. But it's always been their offense that's been a little bit lacking. But I think this year they're a little bit more offensively gifted to handle some of those droughts, but I still think they're going to run into some problems um, later on in the tournament when they face Alabama, who's just light years ahead. But I do think San Diego state's good enough to make the sweet 16 this year. All right. Uh, final game in the South region on Thursday afternoon sees the Princeton Tigers out of the Ivy league, take on the Arizona wildcats, Arizona 14 point chalk here. Gosh, Garrett, it sure feels like Arizona clicking at the perfect time after winning the Pac-12 tournament and avenging a loss against UCLA from the end of the regular season. Uh, 14 here, I'm not going to argue with it. You know, what, what do you what stands out here in terms of Arizona in this game, you know, if, if it can cover and, and kind of how the region sets up for the number two seed? Uh, just to be clear, I so I bet Charleston plus five and a half in the other game, but I think San Diego State wins. I think it'll be a tight game, just to okay. get that out there, because I sure. do I do have San Diego State advancing in my bracket, but I took five and a half with Charleston because I mean, who knows? I like the I like the idea that all these games are going to be close, but I'm sure there's going to be middles, right? Blowouts. Yeah. Um, Arizona Princeton, interesting game actually. Honestly, I I think a Princeton first to fifteen bet is is warranted. Um, I I don't think they'll have much after that. I I think the Ivy League teams have always done a good job early in games, first halves, they're tough. They're, they're, they're very well disciplined team, but then the, but then the athletes eventually take over. And I think it's especially true with Arizona. I could see Arizona coming out really jittery because they're just a, a high energy team. Um, and then I'll eventually the athletes will settle in and, and I think Arizona will take control of the game from a physical perspective, but Princeton's offense can be very tough to prepare for. They run a lot of back cuts, motion, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, 
So early on in the game, before Tommy Lloyd makes his adjustments, I could see Princeton having some success. So the only way I'd bet this game is a first to 15. Um, and then I'd say if you get a good number live on Arizona, then, then maybe that'd be a good bet. The way I see this bracket playing out, uh, I've got Bama San Diego State in the top. I've got Creighton Arizona um, in my Sweet 16 on the bottom. And I've got I, I like Creighton a little bit here. I, I think, um, mm. you know, a, a little bit of a tough draw in the Big East tournament. And I think they're a better team analytic. Like they're the one of the better teams analytically in this entire uh, region. It's just, you know, they're kind of up against the the juggernaut Bama. But I think they're better than Arizona, frankly, um, at their peak. Because I think, again, Arizona is just, it's just they're just so volatile. I, I can't trust them in these big moments. And they've also got some injury issues with Ballo's got the broken hand and and Creesa with the shoulder. It seems like every year around this time they get banged up. I remember last year that was a big reason why they got their run derailed. Um, I've got Utah State beating Mizzou, but it's really Arizona, Creighton, Bama, San Diego State, and then Bama and Creighton, and then I got Bama in the Final Four. Okay. All right, let's move forward and go to the West region where the 8-9 game on – Thursday sees the Arkansas Razorbacks taking on the Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh, Arkansas, a short two-point favorite. Gosh, remember the beginning of the year, Eric Musselman had all those McDonald's All-Americans coming in. There was a lot of buzz about Arkansas back in October, November. I'm sure they thought they'd be higher on the seed list than an eight seed. They did get to the regional final last year uh, in the West region, lost to Duke in that regional final. Uh, How do you see this game with Arkansas as short favorite? Illinois Illinois is a, is a fade. Uh, the drama, there's a lot of drama there. Underwood's calling players out. It's weird. I don't know what's going on. They didn't really show anything in the Big Ten tournament. Arkansas obviously had the big lead on AM, blew the big lead. That's the vibe with them. Tough to lay points. But if I were going to bet this game, I think I did. I did get to the window on Arkansas minus two and a half because I just, I, I, I don't see it with yeah. Illinois. And I think I could see this game being a blowout if Illinois throws in the towel early. But Arkansas has obviously been known to give up those leads. Um, the one thing about Arkansas is they gave up a ton of threes, but Illinois can't shoot. So I think matchup wise, it favors Arkansas. I think Nolan Smith's or excuse me, Nick Smith's the best player on the floor. And I think if Underwood's still calling dudes out, it's it's the the the, the chemistry with Illinois, I think, is a fade right now. Yeah, no, it's a great point about the chemistry with Illinois as well. It's a quick turnaround, uh, obviously having to play on Thursday. Uh, and getting ready for a March Madness game. I'm sure more goes into travel and ticket arrangements and all, all sorts of things that even if you're a buttoned-up program with everything good in the locker room uh, can be a lot. So uh, with things that are going on with Underwood, it definitely kind of rings true with me. Another 8-9 game that I want to get to, which I'm actually interested in, uh, is Auburn as a one-point favorite against the Iowa Hawkeyes, this in the Midwest region. Uh, and honestly... Games in Birmingham, I'm looking at Auburn playing a, a de facto home game here. I think there's going to be a level of uh, kind of muck it up, grind it out, real tough Bruce Pearl grittiness that might make things a little more challenging for Iowa. I lean to the Auburn side. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you here. I, I, I bet Auburn money line. Um, the one thing that scares me is Auburn's just they, they just take so many dumb shots. Um and I was, you know, it's you need to punish Iowa's defense for being so bad. You need to get into the paint. You need to get to the line. You need to make their defense feel the heat of being one of the worst defenses in the country, especially away from uh, Iowa City. 
But Auburn goes to, through these stretches where they just take a bunch of bad shots, and that's what scares me. Now, at their best, I think Auburn can beat almost anyone in the country. They're that athletic. They run when they make their threes. Obviously, they've got all the other pieces in place. As long as they take smart shots and they get into the paint, they should win this game. But we'll see if they go through any of those stretches, kind of like San Diego State sometimes, one of those teams. Good team, good athletes, good coach, but just they 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 struggle at times. They're very disconnected on offense. So hopefully they get over that hump and, and they win because I did bet Auburn on the money line. I've got them in my bracket, too. Let's go to the East region where the Duke Blue Devils are certainly coming in, playing probably their best basketball of the season, having just won the ACC tournament. But Oral Roberts certainly looks like a team that could garner a little bit of love at the betting window as well. Uh, it is a blue blood, though, in Duke. So Duke is laying six in the hook here. I, what do you think here? I, I don't think I'm going to get involved. I, I don't know what to make of Duke. I give Shire a lot of credit for turning their season around when it looked like they may be you know, close to the bubble. And now they're a five seed that maybe could make some noise in the East region. Just your thoughts on this game. Yeah, I'm torn on Duke. I think we know what we're getting with Oral Roberts. They're a team that's going to score. They're a team that has maybe the best player on the floor in Max Aismas, which is surprising yeah. in a game against Duke. But I, I think overall they don't have the full Monty. Like when they played Houston, they got run off the floor. And I know that was very early in the year and it was a spot that was really tough, but they get they, they only scored 45 points in that game and they gave up 83. So I, and I don't think Duke defensively is as good as as Houston, obviously. Um, but they're still in the top 25 defensive efficiency. You know, they're a top five in 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 the conference in in defensive efficiency. So, I, and I the narrative on the ACC is very down, and that usually tells me that the conference will probably perform better than expected. Um, but there's some tough matchups in this conference. I think Virginia, as we mentioned with Furman, has got a tough matchup. We'll get to the Miami matchup in a bit with Drake, but. I, I think Duke should win this game. I think they're the only team in the ACC that I really trust to win multiple games in the tournament okay. right now. It's just a matter of can can Shire get the most out of these freshmen? I mean, they're one of the youngest teams in college basketball this year. Their, their D1 experience is outside the top 250. So I know Roach from last year's Final Four team, but the rest of the rotation, Filipowski, White, I mean, they're all freshmen. So what do you get from them in their first tourney game? That scares me. The upside, I think, is very high. They're big, they're athletic, they've got the 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 big man in the middle that you know not a lot of teams have. But what's the the nerves level and the sphincter tightness sure. when they get into these games? Now they look great in the ACC tournament. They they, they didn't play a close game. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how they how they handle an Oral Roberts team that has been there before. Frankly, they've been there more than a lot of these guys on the Duke roster has. So I I think this is a very interesting game. The line being so tight, I think is telling you that this is not just the blowout. But I think in the end, Duke does pull it out. And I think they're probably a sweet 16 teams in, ter in terms of their talent. Okay, I want to get to a low major team that I'm interested in in this game in the Midwest region. And that's the Colgate Raiders taking on the Texas Longhorns. And uh, Jared, I talked about it. Mid-majors, low-majors that can score, that can shoot are always going to intrigue me a little bit because it just takes one game to get hot. And maybe you're even live on the money line. And, I, you know, I think here... I look at this setup and I, I think of Colgate as I mentioned in the onset. I'm a Temple guy. I'm crossing my fingers that Temple hires Matt Langle because he has done an exceptional job in building a program in the middle of nowhere, New York, into a mainstay in the NCAA tournament every year out of the Patriot League. We're seeing Colgate. So you have a roster, obviously, of returning players that has played in March Madness, gave Wisconsin a pretty decent game last year in a 314 game. 
Number one in the nation at 41% from three-point field goal range are the Colgate Raiders. So, again, they're just checking a lot of boxes for me in terms of a team with nothing to lose that can shoot, that can score, that's been there before. And also on the Texas side, I would – I, I, I would caution you very much so. Buyer beware here on the Longhorns. Try not to have some recency bias on the fact that they beat Kansas twice and won the Big 12 championship. We saw them when Shaka, I believe, was a three seed there, win the Big 12 title, uh, tournament title, and then lose to Abilene Christian in a 3-14 game. I know it's different with Rodney Terry there now, but I also think there's some pressure on Rodney Terry because this is a guy that you would think at most programs – if this was the job that he had done as an interim coach, he would earn the right to be become the full-time guy. But it's Texas, and they're always going to uh, you know, shoot for the stars when it comes to their coaching hire. So if he bows out the first weekend, or maybe even in the Sweet 16, I could see uh, them opening a national search if they haven't already to decide to do that anyway. So I just think a little bit of pressure here on Texas. How you know Everybody's going to be talking about the round of 32 possible matchup with A&M. Uh, and, and I think Colgate goes out there and, and hits some shots and keeps this thing close. So I like that plus the big number. Colgate first to 15 is definitely a bet you should make. Um, I think that's the perfect example of where the first to 15 bets have value. I'd put the Ivy League game in that category also. I think eventually Texas will wear them down. And I think in a closer game, I think we need to give Texas a little more credit for the roster construction on this year's team compared to that team in 2020. Uh, 20, whenever it was, they beat Abilene, or they lost Abilene. 2021. Yeah, like, this this team is, like, Serge Barry Rice was on those New Mexico State tournament teams. He understands how to win in this time. And then they have Carr and um, uh, the other big man that played on that tournament team um, from a couple years ago. So, or from last year, excuse me. So, I, I think there's a little bit more... I do think there's a little bit more juice to this Texas team under 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 Rodney Terry. For some reason, they've kind of rallied around him. And I'm not going to say they're going to make this big run of the Final Four. I, I do think their their ceiling is probably the Elite Eight against Houston. But I think this is a really good Texas team. And I, 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 I've been prophesizing for the last three weeks that I was going to give a lot, an, an, an added boost than normal to the team that won the Big 12 tournament, because I think this year the Big 12 tournament's different than it's been in any other year. And I think it meant a lot to Texas to win that tournament, and I think that confidence is going to carry over a little bit more than it did in the Shaka years. Shaka sold his soul to the devil to get that VCU Final Four run. He's had, He's been cursing the tournament ever since, and I don't think Chris Beard, it just obviously wasn't the right, wasn't the right situation for him to be uh, uh, coaching this team still. So I think there's a bit of more good karma vibes around Rodney okay. Terry's ascent. And I, I, I think some of the, listen, you got to get lucky in this tournament to make a deep run. I, I definitely think they, they, they beat Colgate. We'll see in the next round who they get. We'll see what the matchup is, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if, if, if Texas plays a little better than expected coming off of this one here. I, I understand your buy low, sell high vibes, but man, I Colgate just, it scares me. Their competition level outside of, 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 that conference this year, which has been even worse than usual. Um, so we'll see. I, I think Colgate can cover, and I think first to 15 is a good bet, but I, I don't know if they can if they can pull this one off. All right, let's get to another 7-10 game, and no surprise, the 7-10's been ping-ponging around that Pickham area. I believe Boise uh, in this 7-10 game in the West region against Northwestern did start as a favorite, but I'm seeing Northwestern as a short chalk now. 
Northwestern, a you know, again, you're a Penn State guy, watched a lot of Big Ten, I'm sure. Northwestern was a pretty nice surprise this year with how the Wildcats just kept winning and kind of flying under the radar. We've seen this at times with Chris Collins at Northwestern where it's not flashy. They maybe don't have NBA prospects, but there they are in the top three, top four of the Big Ten. So your thoughts on this matchup with Boise State, another team out of the Mountain West? Yeah, I, I kind of like Boise a little bit here. I, again, the Mountain Mountain West is going to be really undervalued in this tournament because everyone's going to be talking about how bad they've been recently. Um, and also the one note and the shout out to the, the guys over at Three Man Weave for pointing this out to me. By the way, they I, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to listen to their podcast. About, oh, yeah, I like those guys. Those 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 three guys, um, they have a two hour podcast where they go in depth on every game. They know more about college basketball and their pinky than I do in my entire body. They're unbelievable. But one of the write-ups they had was on the Boise State pick and roll offense and how impressive that uh, facet, that 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 strategy has been for Boise State this year. They're one of the better pick and roll offenses in college basketball per shot quality. And and Northwestern's outside the top 200 in points per possession defending the pick and roll. So again, you talk about little things throughout the course of a game that can tilt the scales. Neither of these teams wow you offensively. Northwestern could be really bad offensively at times. Both teams are good defensively. I think the Big Ten eh, has been kind of pushed down this year. I think it's a pretty mediocre league. Don't let that number two seed fool you for Northwestern. If things would have went different tiebreaker-wise, they could have finished like seventh on the last day of the year. Okay. Um, it was just – I just think the Big Ten was such a train wreck this year. I don't consider them the second-best team in that league. Like they're probably – you know, they're probably seventh or, you know, sixth or somewhere in that range. So Boise State had a chance to win their, win their conference tournament. San Diego State game was tight. I think – overall excuse me the Utah State game um I, I think overall they're a better team than they showed in that game and I think they're they're going to win this one all right again I don't want to spend too much time on the 116s Northern Kentucky catching 19 and a half against Houston as this game is being played in Birmingham you know I know there's been some stuff about Marcus Sasser and his health for the Cougars maybe that impacts if Houston can cover here what do you think yeah Northern Kentucky has been my team. I don't know if you've fo- if you've been following me, anyone who's listening over the last couple of years. Northern Kentucky has been like my squad. Um, I bet on them so much, and they've impressed. Darren Horn is such a good coach, and Marquez Warwick is is a very underrated player, probably the best overall scorer in the Horizon League in terms of how he can get to the rim and and shoot the three. I mean, he's just so versatile. But this is this is a nightmare matchup for for my Norse. Um, they played this like amoeba zone. And it's just going to get shredded by Houston. There's going to be a hundred offensive rebounds in this game for the Cougars. Um, I, if I'll be, if I'm Kelvin Sampson, frankly, I sit Marcus Sasser here. I don't even play him. Um, it's just a terrible matchup. Can, can Northern Kentucky make some threes and cover 20? I mean, the line's enormous. Sure. But um, I, unfortunately I just, I, I can't get to the window on them because it's, it's either Houston or pass. All right, on we roll to a, another game in the East region where it's the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns catching 11 against the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, Jared, I don't know, maybe I'm just a broken record here uh, with uh, a narrative that's out there, but they Rick Barnes in March. And uh, yeah. Louisiana, they, they, they could score, averaging about 76 points a game. Vols come in having lost two out of three. You look at some of their recent wins you know they played South Carolina who's obviously not any good uh so they have one nice win against Arkansas towards the end of the regular season schedule but I I I, I can't give up double digits with Rick Barnes in March so I think I'll take the Raging Cajuns 
the 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 narrative here is just begging you to take the dog. Um, not only Rick Barnes, but also Ziegler being hurt. Like anytime your best player is hurt going into March Madness, it's going to get a lot more attention in the media than a normal injury would to a star team. You know, a star player injured on a big team. You know, in 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 January, nobody cares because we're watching and the NFL. But in March, everyone's gonna be talking about it this week. So it's gonna naturally inflate the line a little bit against Tennessee. So you would imagine right there you get value on Louisiana, but then you talk about all the things you talk about. Rick Barnes um has been really bad. Five and eight against the spread in round of sixty-four games. How can you lay double digits? Well, the balls have beaten ten teams this year by thirty or more. So when they do win, they tend to win big. Does that mean it's going to happen in this game? I have no idea. You mentioned Louisiana is a good offensive team. They don't shoot as many threes as I would have expected a team that shoots it as well as they do. They're actually – and again, this is where Ken Palm can be very helpful. Don't just look at the first number on the line. They're a top 50 team three-point shooting. That's great. That means they're a good three-point shooting team, right? Well, they're outside the top 300 in attempts. So – they don't take a ton of threes. So who cares if they can make a bunch of them if on volume, they don't take a bunch. That's where, frankly, I would make say that they're a less volatile team because they rely a lot more on two point shots and they're pretty good making those two, but they're terrible at the free throw line. And I think rebounding wise, they're going to struggle a little bit. So this is a, this is a really good Tennessee team. Like let's, let's not call, I, I know Ziegler's out, but uh, Jordan James is an all conference type player and they've got the guard Vescovi who can kind of hit you with those tight threes. He shoots over 36%, but do I want, am I excited to lay a lot with Tennessee? No, but I could see them winning this game by 30. I really could, um, because of just the athletes they have. All right, let's get to that seven ten game in the Midwest region. Your Penn State Nittany Lions catching three in the hook against Texas A&M. Maybe Texas A&M a little pissed off. I mean, it's a tournament. You shouldn't need more motivation. But everybody's talking about A&M as one of the most underseeded bracket teams in the bracket. Um, of course, they got left out. They were the first team out, I believe, last year. They got some guards at A&M that can really score. How do you see this one? This is – I'm obviously torn here. Um, I think – I think Penn State's going to struggle to keep their legs for the full game. At least that's how I – the negative approach that I have it playing out in my head. It, the, if Penn State – like, let's just – let's just like, hypothetically speaking, if this was the Big Ten SEC Challenge game played on a neutral floor in, like, the middle of December and Penn State was catching three and a half, I would be all over Penn State. Um, because the style is just – it's just a terrible matchup for, for A&M. Um, they play in a conference that is the worst three-point shooting conference in America, and Penn State's the best three-point shooting team, I think, in the country in terms of not only – like the percentage doesn't indicate that, but I think just how they get to their spots does indicate that. And I think that's because they're one of the best coach teams in the country, and they're just – they're so good at executing their offense. But they're terrible on the glass. They're better on the defensive glass than I expect, but – they're not going to get any offensive rebounds in this game. A&M is going to box out. And I think physically speaking, if A&M is able to get into the paint and wear Penn State down, Penn State had to play five games in seven days. Um, you know, they played the Sunday game, regular season finale, then four days in, in five nights for the Big Ten tourney. And then they had to play the, now the Thursday game this week. So committed didn't do them any favors. They didn't give them the extra day. I, I'm worried physically how Penn State handle, uh, hang, hangs, but 
if they can hang and if they can find another gear and let's, and I'll give them credit. They've been finding extra gears all month, all season long. They have the type of team that can give A&M a lot of problems here. And I think they've got, you know, the type of offense that can give Texas problems too, because you live and die by the three. So I hope they make a bunch of threes. Obviously I'm going to bet Penn state as a dog, but I, I don't, I I'm worried that our legs are going to run out from us at some point in the second. half. Last game of the night on Thursday, sees the UNC Asheville. I don't even know what they're called. But UNC Asheville taking on the UCLA Bruins. And there's a 215 game in the West region. And you talked about, we've mentioned a few high seeds with injuries. UCLA, obviously, chief among them with uh, Jalen Clark out for the year. And I believe a Dembona is uh, the other injury uh, for UCLA to monitor here. So a little disappointing because, you know, I certainly thought that UCLA was national championship level good, and maybe they're able. Bona might be able to come back at some point, but it, it feels like maybe the stars aren't quite aligning for UCLA. They are a big favorite in this game of 17 and the hook. Your thoughts on this game and UCLA's tournament prospects? I like UCLA a lot. Um, I think when you look at the injuries. I, I don't want to go too over the top because the same thing happened to them two years ago. Two of their key guys got hurt and they still made the final four run. Um, the names are eluding me off the top of my head, but they were like mid season injuries. So you could say Mick Cronin's had a little more time to adjust the lineup than he did now, which the Jalen Clark thing happened very recently. I think bone is going to be fine from what I heard. He's just, um, it's like an elbow strain. So I think he'll be back. We'll see if he's 100%. Obviously, that could could change things. But listen, this is a UCLA team that uh, they have something on this year's team that they didn't have last year, and that's Amari uh, on the two years ago team, the Final Four team, and that's Amari Bailey. Now, UCLA two years ago they did it with a lot of smoke and mirrors. They first four defense, not a very explosive offense. This year with Bailey, they're a really good offense. And I, I think that he he yeah, he adds an element to their offense that they didn't have. Now he's been a little timid with his shot selection, and that's coaching. Hopefully Mick Cronin pulls him aside and says, "Listen, you're our best player on the floor. I mean, he's better than you know. He's a blue chip caliber prospect, freshman kid. He's better than Campbell and Hawkes. I think at his peak, he's more athletic and get to the rim and create his own shot. I just don't know if he's up to that task. If he is, then I don't think you're going to miss Jalen Clark as much as people are talking." Now, Clark's a great defender. They'll probably need him in that game against Gonzaga when they're you know, dealing with all those weapons. But in terms of the short term against Asheville and against Boise State or Northwestern, I think it'll be Boise State. UCLA should have no issues getting to the Sweet 16. I think it's a very favorable draw for them. And then they get to be in Vegas, which is basically a home game for them. Um, and then the Gonzaga game, to me, that's the big game. I think the winner of that UCLA-Gonzaga game goes to the Final Four. And that's how I see that region playing out. All right, let's get to the first game on Friday where the UC, USC Trojans, excuse me, out of the Pac-12, taking on Tom Izzo's Michigan State Spartans. Spartans are a short two-point favorite in this game, 7-10 game in the East region. You would think a nice contingent of Sparty alum and faithful at this game at Nationwide Arena in Columbus, Ohio. Um I love Tyson Walker. He's one of my favorite players in college basketball. Um, he just feels like he can step up and get a bucket for them in big moments and, you know, never 
really I mean, he made some big shots in that game last year against Duke in the round of 32. Um, uh, the Hauser kid can really shoot. I, I don't know. I, I, USC, we had uh, Tanner McGrath on from the Action Network a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about how phony he thinks USC is. And Pac-12 is a down league. Uh, I, I'm really going with tournament experience, Izzo, and a better league here at a short number. I think MSU is a side here. I'm kind of on the other side here, to be honest with you. I, okay. it, here's the thing about USC that I really like. I, I think they're – first of all, they play in a conference that I think is built for success in the tournament. Um, Pac-12's had a ton of success, actually the most profitable conference against the number in the round of 64 in recent years. Um, and Michigan State's defense has been really trending down. A.J. Hogard looks a little disconnected. It goes back to the the Illinois thing. Um, very disconnected from Mizzo and what they're trying to accomplish there. That was a dud performance against Ohio State. Maybe they come back um, and and bounce back from that. But I think the defense for Michigan State trending down really scares me against the USC offense that is shooting 43% from three over the last month. So – Andy Enfield's had a lot of success early on in the tournament, four and one against the number in round of 64 games. And I think the big 10 is a play off conference and the big and the PAC 12 is a play on conference for me early on in this tournament. And so it's kind of the perfect storm there. So I, I took two and a half with USC. I could see Michigan state winning a close game, but I, I, I do think Andy Enfield will have his guys ready for this one. All right. Well, a little disagreement. Never heard anybody. Let's keep things moving. Kennesaw State and Xavier. We talk about coaches and Sean Miller back at Xavier doing a really nice job. 11.5 point chalk here are the Musketeers. I don't have much on this game. Don't know a lot about Kennesaw. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think Kennesaw is a really tough team. Um, a lot of talented transfers. They've been together for a while. I mean, they beat Liberty twice this year. That's Liberty's really good. So I, I, I think Kennesaw is going to have their moments here, but I, I do think Xavier is a little bit better equipped to play in the tournament without Fremantle, as crazy as that sounds, because they play a little slower, they don't run as much, and their defense has actually been trending in a positive direction since he's come out. So I, I think that's where I'm at with this game. Um, would Probably lay it with Xavier if I had to bet it, but I'm not betting it. I, I do think Xavier wins and advances. I think they actually probably – I think I have them in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I, I have Xavier in the Sweet 16 um, losing to Texas. Another 314 matchup in the South. It is the Baylor Bears and the Gauchos of UC Santa Barbara. You know, Jared, this one's interesting to me because I know it's different players, but we have seen Baylor – as a high seed, be a little vulnerable at times. I think back to that R.J. Hunter, Georgia State game. Um, do the Gauchos have a shot here? Like, How do you see this game? The Gauchos absolutely have a shot in this game. Um, go watch the Creighton game from two years ago um, in the tournament for UCSB. It's basically the same team. Um, that. Oh, yeah, they were right in that, that game. Right in that game. Um, this is a very, yeah, John Pierce, Luis, he's the point guard. He was, he was the point guard on that team too. Um, this is a, this is a battle tested Santa Barbara team. They play in a league that doesn't get a ton of attention to big West, but preseason, they were actually one of the, you know, more talked about mid majors in the country. 
Um, kind of fell off a little bit in the middle of their conference season, lost three in a row in the middle of February, but then bounced right back and, and really blew through the big West tournament. They won the final by, by double digits and listen, Baylor defensively is not going to shut anybody down. I mean, this is a far cry from the Baylor team that won the tournament, uh, two years ago. Like just, it's just a completely different team. They do not defend. They don't run people off the three point line. They're, they're, they're a very undisciplined team, which is surprising because Scott Drew is such a good coach on the defensive end. Um, they have great guard play, though, and I think that's why in March they have a great coach. They have great guard play. They'll probably get by this game, but I could see Santa Barbara being close. I, I, I took 10 and a half with UCSB. I think this is one of the more interesting games of the early round because I think you'll hear a lot about how great the Big 12 is and how great Baylor's offense is. And then UCSB right, right. all of a sudden goes toe for toe with them. Um, but I, I think Baylor probably wins by a bucket or two. Well, no, I, I'd be with you. I'd like to see this game go right down to the wire. I'm, I'm always in favor of the low and mid-majors shining when they get a little bit of a moment on a big stage. Let's go to a couple of mid-majors that are becoming mainstays, if you don't already consider them mainstays, in the NCAA bracket, and that's the St. Mary's Gales and the VCU Rams as St. Mary's is a short four-point favorite in this game. Jared, I got to be honest. I got a buddy of mine who went to Pepperdine and follows the WCC very closely, and he says, I don't know that I would like St. Mary's a lot in the tournament because the Gales aren't that athletic, and they can't get up and down with teams the way that you need to be able to when you see some more athletic teams um, in the tournament. We know VCU and Havoc and the press and – I don't know. There's something about VCU right now. Mike Rhodes doing a really nice job. A-10 tournament and regular season champions. I, I kind of feel like Gonzaga really cut St. Mary's open in that WCC title game. And are they able to hit the reset button? I'm not sure. I think the Rams are the side. I, I'm, I'm on the other side of here. Okay. <laughs> I, I think the a 10s really down this year. And I think just overall the A-10, I don't really trust any of those teams. Um, VCU's – now, don't get me wrong. VCU is a really is the best of the A-10 teams, no doubt. Um, but remember that trend with the teams coming off the 20-point blowout losses and how good they do in their next game? Good yeah, point. We get, yeah. a, we get another one here with St. Mary's. That just got absolutely hammered in the, in the, in the, uh, the, the WCC final by Gonzaga. And a lot of people are going to be hopping off the train after watching that. But I think they're a much better team than, than that game. That was just Gonzaga just wanted that game more. Um, and when they play at that level, I don't think there's a lot of teams, frankly, in the country that can run with Gonzaga when they're playing at that level. VCU is not one of those teams. Um, offensively, they just they just can't shoot. And, and they really struggle from three. And I, I think that that's going to be the key here. Um the possession length will be key and, and, and can VCU get into those St. Mary's guards. And I, I think Mahaney is a freshman first tournament. I, I think I could see him getting rattled at times and maybe St. Mary's gets out of their offense right. a little bit, but we, I, I don't think people realize how good the St. Mary's team really is. Um, they battled Houston toe for toe. I mean, absolutely went toe for toe with Houston middle of the season. And when you look back at that game now, you're like, wow, because Houston's just been blowing people out left and right. So I, I think at their peak, I, I think St. Mary's can be a team that's a Sweet 16 Elite Eight team. I, I do think they win this game. I think they cover this game. We'll see what their what their end road is. Um, I do have them losing to UConn in the next round, but I'll be honest, I was not 
that was a really tough game to predict for me. I think the winner of that game actually goes to the Elite Eight. So I, I, I think St. Mary's, because of maybe that game against Gonzaga in the final, is going to be a little bit a little bit on the by-low side here. Okay. Uh, two fifteen game in the East region. Vermont, the Catamounts, out of the America East Conference, are catching 11 against Marquette. Shaka Smart, regular season, Big East tournament champions as well. Again, Jared, I, I go back to with some of these teams like the sell low or excuse me, the sell high opportunity. And, and Marquette is kind of a, a, a darling for a lot of uh, people right now. And the story of Shaka, you know, kind of landing on his feet there in Milwaukee and tournament last year in his first year. And, and obviously all the success they've had this year. I just think that the tournament's very fickle, and they're one of these teams. You know what we talked about Baylor. I, I think maybe Texas, uh, Marquette. Like somebody is going to see at in the first weekend is going to run into some typical. Oh, this is the tournament. Like it's it's just like a, a surprise is going to hit them that it, it doesn't just you're not just going to continue to coast through whoever's in front of you. And and Vermont, I watched that America East final against UMass Lowell. Again, they were hitting shots, and this is another mid-major, low-major type team that has been in the NCAA tournament, gave Musselman and Arkansas a game last year. I could see Vermont covering this number. What do you think? I think Vermont. Um, Dr. Smart's not been good in these games, um, not only in the first round. He's lost six straight round of 64 games, actually, um, but also as a favorite of 10 or more. We hear a lot about Shaka as a dog and how great he is, and that's true. But as a favorite of ten or more in his career, forty-three, sixty-two, and two against the spread, it's just not the preferred vibe for him. He likes the underdog mentality. Now, the one thing about Marquette that's been very interesting is their defense has been trending up. That's what makes them a very intriguing team, I think, long term. Is they can probably shut down a defense or an offense like USC in the next round. Like they might be able to, you know, hold hold some of those Duke shooters in check if they can make it to the Elite Eight um, at, at the Garden, where they've been very comfortable playing at over the years too. Which is another element to Marquette's uh, region that's interesting. They get to play at the Garden, where they play their Big East tournament games, where they've been very comfortable playing over the last few years. Whereas Kentucky, Duke, FAU. They don't play a lot of games at the Garden. Um, so it's just – it's very – it's a good vibe for them, I think, if they can make it to MSG in that East Regional. The one thing for Vermont that is actually interesting is they play in a conference that's done really well in these games. Nine and two against the spread in the last 10 years in the America East. Mm. So in, in the round of 64. So it's just – or excuse me, in the tournament overall. Um, but it's just a – which is basically the round of 64 because they don't advance past that very often. I think they had one year where they did. But – there is just a very um, – I think it was the UMBC here. They, it, it's – they're a tough team. They, they played a tough schedule. They, they're the best team in their conference by far, and I think they'll keep it close. Do they win? Eh, maybe. But I think I think Marquette maybe pulls it out because they're a little more talented offensively than prior years, but their defense has been trending up. That's the key for Marquette. But, yeah, this this has the makings of a game. 11.5 seem, seem way, too, way too big for yeah. me for a number to lay. Agreement there on the Vermont Catamount side. Uh, okay, I'm going to bypass the Iowa State game because we're waiting to see who the Cyclones draw. Uh, let's go to Creighton 
and NC State. I know you've been drinking the Blue Jay Kool-Aid a little bit. Uh, Big East have pretty nice year here. We just finished talking about Marquette. Uh, Xavier's a three seed. Creighton, maybe a little flying under the radar as a six seed. And NC State, a lot of people felt like, hey, do they belong in the tournament? Creighton, five and a half point favorite. Uh, you like the Blue Jays to make a deep run. Do you like them to cover here? Yeah, I, I bet Creighton here at five. Um, I just think analytically they're an undervalued team. I, I, I like teams that are coming off of, you know, losses in, in their conference tournaments by double digits. And um, I like teams that overall are just good defensive teams that maybe haven't had good defenses in prior years. And that's what Creighton is. I mean, this is a team last year that was outside, I think, the top 80 in defensive efficiency heading into the tournament. No, they were a little higher last year, too, than I gave them credit for. But they're better this year. Um, than they were last year defensively. And again, coming off of one of those blowouts, as we talked about um, in their Big East tournament, but NC State's got that trend going for them too, because they got blown out by, I think, 30 by Clemson. <laughs> they were absolutely destroyed in that game. So both teams are coming off really bad losses in in their respective conference tournaments. That's a play on trend. But I think of those two teams that we're talking about here, I think I trust Creighton a lot more than I trust NC State. Um, NC State's defense is the one thing that really scares me about them, and 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 I think you're going to see Nemhard and 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 Alexander have a good game in the backcourt. And yeah, I think Creighton makes a run. I, I like the defensive numbers. They're, again, this is a different Creighton team than we're used to seeing. They are a little bit slower. They like to defend. They're much better defensively. Um, and I, I like the matchup against Arizona, and I like the matchup against Baylor because again, I just I think I think I prefer them against teams that that can. Are, are more offensive minded teams. And I think defensively Creighton's going to really s- surprise some people this week because uh, not a lot of people are talking about him after that, that, that blowout loss to Xavier in the uh, tournament. Yeah, no, I, I really like that trend you have about getting blown out in the last game of your conference tournament. And that would apply to Creighton uh, staying in the big East, the Connecticut Huskies laying nine against Rick Pitino's Iona Gales. This is a first-round matchup that's obviously garnering a lot of headlines with the possibility of Rick Pitino ending up back in the Big East, whether it be at St. John's or Georgetown. Um, Iona also, again, I've talked about mid-majors that have some tournament experience, and and Iona kind of checking that box for me. There's a lot of pressure on Danny Hurley, I feel like, uh, Jared, one of the marquee brands in the Northeast. This is his fifth season at Connecticut, and he has not won a game yet in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think you said you like you kind of make a little bit of a deep run. Do they cover nine here? This is an interesting game. I, I think analytically speaking, UConn has a case to be a number one seed. I mean, they're the fourth, aren't they the fourth ranked team in Ken Palm's ratings? Um, yeah, fourth. Yeah, they were pretty Ken high. Palm's. Was it four? They're fourth in Ken Palm's wow. efficiency ratings. Um, they have a, they have a case. They're 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 definitely the most underseeded four team in this in this tournament. Um, they might be the most underseeded team in the whole tournament. So, I think we're getting the the seeding line off here because I'm not as high on the MAC as I really care to talk about. Um, and Iona is a team that just they have a little more size than some of the other teams in the MAC, but I just I don't see how Connecticut doesn't just bludgeon them all game long. Um, Iona can make some shots. They can run a little bit. They can stay in it based off of that. But I just, I don't love their defensive rebounding percentages. And I just, I don't love their overall size against a UConn team that, that is coming off again, uh, uh, a tight, tough loss in their conference tournament, a tournament that they felt like they probably should have won. 
um, based off of where they were coming in. Now, can they overcome what ailed them midseason when they lost five out of six in in January? I hope so, because I do think they have the analytics and the defense to make a deep run in this tournament. The one positive for Iona, this game's getting played at Siena's Arena, where Iona plays every year because they're in the same conference. Um, That's the one edge maybe you find with Iona. But I just I I don't know if, if they're able to keep this one close. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point about playing in their backyard a little bit, but yeah. Um, Connecticut, as I said, a lot of pressure on the Huskies to make a little bit of a run, but as you said, they certainly have the talent. Let's stay in the big East where we have the 11th seeded Providence Friars in the East region, taking on the Kentucky Wildcats. It's funny. We're just talking about Rick Pitino, a couple of his former jobs here. I, I like Providence here. I think they're live on the money line. Uh, Honestly, Jared, I just didn't see anything all year from Kentucky that made me think that they're worth making a deep tournament run. Because the minute you thought that you might have had something with Kentucky, they'd go out and lose to Vanderbilt. Or, you know, whoever it was that they lost this year that they really didn't have any business losing to. You also have the revenge angle um, with uh, Bryce Hopkins, who transferred from Kentucky into the, the Providence program. And... We talk about coaches this time of year. John Calipari, we're over a decade removed from that national championship with the loaded Anthony Davis roster. There have been a lot of head-scratching losses since for Cal in the tournament. Ed Cooley just got to the second weekend. He continues to do more with less at Providence. I think Providence wins this game. Yeah, it's the Bryce Hopkins revenge game. Yeah. Um, That's a big part to this. That's why I like uh, um, Arizona State a lot in the game against Nevada because of the, the Cambridge revenge. I love teams that get the face or players that get the face of the team they transferred away from the following year. I mean, it's just the irony is and the committee has a way of putting these ironic matchups together. Trust me, they have they they know all of this stuff. Um, I think Casey Wallace is the guy to keep an eye on for Kentucky. He's been playing better. He's getting healthier. And we all know about Oscar Shibway, But Wallace, the guy I think that is going to be the reason why they win or lose this game. Providence's interior is going to get eaten alive here, but do they have enough shooting on the outside? I think they do. I think Hopkins will big reason why. And Ed Cooley is a dog's been great, 60% in his career, and Calipari's under 500 in round of 64 games. This game's probably close. I could see Kentucky winning by a bucket, but I, 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 I'm on Providence catching three and a hook. All right, so some agreement there on the Providence Friars. How about the Drake? Uh, at Miami game, 5-12 game in the Midwest region. Uh, Drake, another talented double-digit seed. Miami, though, pretty good. Got to the Elite Eight last year. I know the ACC was down this year, but uh, Miami's got a lot of talent, and they lost by seven to Duke in a competitive ACC semifinal in the tournament. We see Miami here, only a two-and-a-half point favorite, though. So maybe that line's talking to some people a bit. How do you see this 5-12 game? The O'Meara injury is huge. North Shad O'Meara, um, the Miami big man. He's like the best big man in the ACC. It looks like he's not going to play. You know how it is with these college games. He's questionable. Yeah. He hurt himself in the ACC tournament. If he doesn't play, this line probably closes closer to a pick Um And Drake, I, I pick Drake in the Moval. I, I think Drake is, is a very undervalued team. Um, they've got... Probably the best all-around player on the floor 
on both ends and Tucker DeVries. I know Wong and Pack are, you know, elite scoring guards, but neither of them can defend a lick. And this Miami team is just allergic to defense. Um, but they're very well coached. And that matters. I think this game will be tight. I like how Roman Penn, who's like 100 years old, is gets gets to play in his former arena. You know, Siena transfer gets to play in Albany. So that's big. I think there's a lot of positives for Drake here. Um, and I got three. I think it will probably close two. And if Omir doesn't play again, it probably closes a pick em. If Omir plays, it'll probably stay two, two and a half. Maybe it gets back to three. But yeah, Drake is live here. Um, I, I think Drake is uh, is a good money line pick, too, if you want to get a a free one um, out of the gate early, or I guess late. This is the later games, but yeah, Drake all the way. Go Bulldogs. All right. On we roll to uh, an evening game on Friday where we have the Grand Canyon Gonzaga three fourteen battle in the West region. And I'll be honest, Jared, I'm interested in Gonzaga more now than maybe I have been in years past on the basis that, I almost feel like they're a little bit of a buy low on the big. I know they won the WCC, but nobody's talking about Gonzaga this time sure. of year. And usually it's, oh, who'd they play? And what was the non-conference? And who are they going to choke to as a number one seed? And now here they are as kind of a quiet three seed. Drew Timmy's still there. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys, you know, I know they don't have that high-level NBA prospect anymore, but a lot of the guys that have been a part of their culture the last few years, uh, you know, Julian Strother, it just feels like maybe they're starting to figure it out this time of year. I think there could be a statement to be made here and Gonzaga uh, could cover going away. Just your thoughts on kind of where Gonzaga's headed and Grand Canyon a little bit. What do you know about them? I'm on, I'm on Gonzaga. Um, yeah, I laid too. 15. Um, Grand Canyon wants to run. That's not what you do against Gonzaga. <laughs> That's just, like it, it, it's just a it, they they are the junior varsity version of Gonzaga West Coast Conference team or not in the West Coast Conference but a West Western team that is kind of taking the mold of what Gonzaga did which is they don't run in a sense with their tempo but they shoot a bunch of threes um over forty percent of their shots come from three so when I say run I mean they like to get out in transition and shoot threes they're not a high tempo team which might be their savior here um because you can't be a high tempo team against Gonzaga. It just doesn't work. So we'll see what Bryce Drew has. He's going to be one of the hotter coaching names, I think, in the offseason. But we'll see what kind of scheme Bryce Drew cooks up. But again, Gonzaga just um, is is out to prove something this year because I agree. I do think they're a little undervalued. I do think that game in the West Coast final is the example of that. They wanted to show you that they were the best team in that conference and they wanted to do it with margin. And when they are motivated like that, they still have a ton of talent. Strawweather's a star. Drew Timmy's not sexy, but he gets it done. And good luck, uh, again, matching up with their long six foot seven wing guys that can shoot all shoot three. So it's just a really tough matchup. I, I think the total's been steamed up to the point where I wouldn't bet the over, but I'd be shocked if we didn't see Gonzaga get to 80 or 85 or maybe even 90 in this game. And I, I do think when you look at teams and coaches that are a little undervalued at this time of year, Usually it's not Gonzaga, but this year it is. And I agree. I think that's why they make him an attractive player. Good to know that we echo some of the same sentiments there. Interesting 8-9 game between the Memphis Tigers and the Florida Atlantic Owls as uh, Florida Atlantic will be moving into the American Athletic Conference next season. So we'll be seeing these two teams square off quite a bit in coming years. But for Friday night, it's a two-point line in favor of Memphis. 
we all know Memphis uber athletic and it looks like, you know, it's all starting to come together for the Tigers. When you look at how they put it together, a very strong performance in the American Conference Championship game to beat Houston, Kendrick Davis, a do-it-all guard for them in the backcourt. But 31-3 and kind of speaks for itself for Florida Atlantic. Interesting game here. Memphis, short chalk. What do you think? Man, I'm so mad these teams are playing each other. Um, I did my two-way here. Is I the bet. winner live against Purdue, by the way? 100%. The winner wins. Yeah. The winner beats Purdue. Um, I bet Memphis early on the money line. I thought the line would move in their direction because of how well they played in the American final. I was kind of right. It moved like a half a point. So then I came back on FAU plus two and a half. Um, and I hope the game lands too. Uh, but I, I, I could just, this is such a great game. This is, I, I knew I was going to probably buy back this game. I was hoping for three. Maybe it goes to three, but I already made my, I, I already made my claim here. I, I took two and a half because I just, I started to hear some people that I trust really like FAU. And I was like, man, if they start diving into the market on the owls, this thing's going to go back to, going to go back to two and I'm going to miss my chance to get, to get a hook here. But I, FAU spreads it out. They shoot. They're so well coached and they play in a conference that, eh, I think is a little better than, than people think, um, you know, UAB is a really good team and they just wiped the floor with them. Like it wasn't even close. So I, 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 I know overall conference USA's numbers yeah. aren't great, but I do think there's some teams in that conference that have the ability to stretch you North Texas being one La tech being another, and man, they just made mincemeat of those teams this year. And I, I was really impressed um, with that final. I mean, the, that game was never even close. So it's tough to defend Florida Atlantic because they they shoot it so well from all parts of the floor. They're equally balanced from three and two point. They do shoot a lot of threes. But again, the percentage is high enough to where it warrants it. They're not an overly fast team. They defend like they, it's just they have no holes. It's a really tough team to scheme against. And where Memphis, I think, is a little more volatile. Where Memphis can win this game by 20 easily, but they can sure. lose it by 20. So which Memphis do we get that shows up? If the elite Memphis shows up, not only are they capable of winning this game by 20, but they're capable of running Purdue off the floor in the next game too. And we saw what they almost did to Gonzaga last year. Or no, was it? Uh, yeah, it was the Gonzaga. Oh, they were up 10 at halftime against Gonzaga. Yeah, so I, I think that's the ceiling, frankly, for Memphis. But I don't know if they're going to be as locked in as they were in that game against Houston, which was a revenge game where they had gotten beaten at the buzzer at home a week prior. Right. This feels like a, when, a game where you might get lazy Memphis. I, I'll be honest. So I picked FAU in my bracket. I put FAU in the Sweet 16 in my bracket. I also worked at FAU, though. I worked. It was one of my first <laughs> jobs out of college. I was their women's basketball and baseball radio broadcaster and SID. Okay. So I have a soft spot for the Owls. I grew up in South Florida. My mom lives in Boca. I've been around that campus and that facility a lot. I was there the day they broke ground on their football stadium. I interviewed Howard Schellenberger. Like, it's just, I have a weird connection to FAU. So I might not be objective when I'm telling you that I think they are capable of making a run to the Sweet 16. It's more what I want to see. But I do think this is my favorite matchup of the entire round of 64. Because I honestly could see the game playing out a million different ways. But I hope FAU wins because I think it'd be really good for that program and, and, and for Boca. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. I'd like to see FAU's momentum continue in light of uh, FAU entering the American Conference. few more games to get to as we wrap things up. Uh, how about Kansas State? Jerome Tang, one of the better coaching jobs this season. 
But, you know, as I always caution this time of year, some of these teams, particularly Kansas State, one that uh, did make a little bit of a run in the NCAA tournament. Uh, you'd have to go back four year, five years, though. In 2018, got to an Elite Eight. Uh, they got back to the tournament the following year and lost. They haven't been back since. So, you know, a little bit of uncharted waters for Kansas State here. Giving up eight against Montana State. What do you think? I, I think Kansas State wins and covers. Montana State scares me a little bit. Big Sky's not done well in this round. Five, 11, and one against the spread. Remember last year's game? We all loved Montana State last year against Texas Tech. And yeah, it's got Tech annihilated. I them. mean, it was that was, I think, the biggest blowout of the entire first round. Um, and Texas Tech's not a good offensive team, and they dropped almost 100 in that game. Um, so that's what scares me. Now, again, it's the same team as last year. Did they learn something? Did they improve? Sure, probably. They get to the line a lot. Kansas State fouls a lot. That's the one edge I found for Montana State here. Um, and Kansas State is a little bit of a volatile team. They're a senior-laden team, which is unique, but they turn it over a ton. They're sloppy with the ball, and they foul a lot. But – they're very talented. They played in a conference that I think was the best conference in America by far. And I think at their best, they blow Montana State off the floor, similarly to what Texas Tech did. But very volatile team. So long story short, no bet for me. All right, let's wrap things up with uh, two games quick. Well, I guess we'll really just do the one because the other one includes TCU. We'll touch a little bit on TCU, but we don't know who the Horned Frogs are going to be playing as they await, I believe, the winner of uh, Nevada and um, Arizona State. But uh, regardless, it is Kent State and Indiana. Interesting line here. 4-13 game, Kent State only catching four. And I've, like, as a college basketball purist, I'd love to see Indiana make a deep run. Uh, you know, it, it would, it's one of those things where, like, the sport is better when that program is good and a blue blood, like we all kind of expect them to be, or like the standard is there. Mike Woodson, at various times this season, it looks like that is their guy. They've swept Purdue in the regular season series. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, I love a lifer there in Bloomington. Jalen Hood, Shifino can really score. But I don't know. This line's weirding me out at just four. And, and, and Sincere Carey, the guard at Kent State, can, can beat you in a lot of different ways. So I, this could be a sneaky good game. What do you think here? It's funny that this we did this game last. This is probably my favorite bet of the entire tournament so far in the early round. Kent State's winning this game. Um, <laughs> the MAC has been unbelievable in the tournament lately. Twelve and five against the spread since 05. Six straight covers. And remember the game last year between Akron and UCLA? Like they just—I don't know what it sure. is—the style. Different teams, Kent State covered against UCLA a few Akron years gave ago. Them a game, yeah. So it just it there's something about this conference, first of all. And now don't let that be the only reason why you make a bet on a team. But this conference specifically has been really good in the round of 64. The second level to this, this year's Kent State team is one of the best cover teams in the country, over 63 percent, 19, 11, and one. So not only is the conference really good at covering the spread, very undervalued conference. This specific Kent State team has also been undervalued in the market all season long. And then you mentioned the guy, Sincere Carey. I think outside of TJD, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, I think he's the best player on the floor. Definitely the best guard on yeah. the floor. Um, 
Indiana's tough. They're big. They're long. Their point guard, Hood Shafino, 6'7", but he's a true freshman. Yep. Didn't play great in the Big Ten tourney. And Malik Jacobs, the, the MAC Defensive Player of the Year, is going to be guarding him in this game. So we'll see. I mean, listen, this Kent State team's legit. They lost by five at Houston and by seven at Gonzaga. Those are probably two of the best teams in the country, and they lost within three possessions on the road to those teams this season. So I, this is a battle-tested Kent State team. And Absolutely. they're good at defending the rim. They're good at defending post-ups. I think they'll be able – you know, Indiana's going to get theirs at the rim. Um, Race Thompson and TJD are, 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 are behemoths. And again, Hood Shafino is a, a longer point guard, but the f- true freshman nature of him being the point guard scares me a little bit. And how he played in the Big Ten tournament definitely should 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 scare people a little bit. And if Kent State makes some shots, they win this game. I think they can win it by margin too. If 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 Indiana's a little bit on the on the on the struggle side early, like we saw against Penn State. But I I think this is my favorite. This, this is one of the only two unit bets I made. Kent State plus four and a half. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and I think. As I said, for as much as I want to see Indiana come back, I, I like the spot for Kent State. I'll probably take the four and, you know, feel good about Kent State either winning the game outright or if they do lose, I, I think they can cover this number and keep it to a one-score margin. So that's going to just about do it for us. Just real quick, any, any thoughts on TCU um, you know, I, and who they get? And, you know, if there could be a run here from the Horned Frogs, it was a team that – you know, gosh, in January, went to Fog Allen Fieldhouse and clobbered Kansas. Uh, you know, any thoughts on them as we get out of Dodge? So I, I like TCU a lot. I think the matchup against Gonzaga in that next round is going to be tough. I'll give you my final four. I've got Houston, Bama, UCLA, and Marquette, and I've got Houston beating Bama in the championship. My future, so I the bracket, you know, good luck winning it. I always try to align my bracket with where my futures portfolio is. The big futures that I made, I got Houston last May at 22 to 1. I've been riding them, that bet almost for a full calendar year, basically. So I'm not going away from that take now. I like, I don't care about the injuries. I still think they're great. Sasser will be fine. I, I, I've i got Houston in the final four in Houston, and I've got them winning it all. UCLA is the other future that I made recently at 13 to 1. I, I, I'll stick with that because I think in Vegas they'll, um, they'll, they'll win that region. If they can get back by that game against Gonzaga. TCU is actually the other future I have at 35 to one, sadly, but you know, they're best case scenario. They play UCLA in that sweet 16 game. Um, and I, I don't think they can get past that game. And then the other future I have is Baylor who I am completely given up on them. They have no chance to make it past. I think maybe the round of 32, if they make it to the sweet 16, that'll be a damn miracle. So I, I think overall TCU is a high upside team, but the matchup doesn't favor them against Gonzaga. If they make it to the sweet 16, I do think that's where it'll end against UCLA. And I think Houston, Houston and Bama right now, I think, are the two best teams based off of what I've watched all year. If you ask me who the best team is start to finish of the full season, Houston, if you ask me who the best team is over the last month, I'd say Bama. For some reason, Brandon Miller seems to be playing better since this incident, and that's really scary. Um, (laughs) But some guys just rise to the occasion, and he's one of those guys that obviously has the ability to block out a lot of the distractions. And it's clearly galvanized Alabama because they've looked unbelievable over the last couple of weeks. And I think they are the best most talented team in the country, top to bottom. Miller gives me like Carmelo Anthony vibes from 03. Like he sure. just can take over a game from any angle. And I think Houston top to bottom is the best team. And we've seen it from start to finish of the season. So those are my two teams. I like that they're on opposite sides of the bracket. I think that'll be the final if it all plays out, but obviously the madness can ensue at any moment. 
Well, there he is, Jared Smith, uh, kind enough to join us, Fox Sports Radio, VSIN, doing a lot of different things in the gambling space. And, uh, you know, it, it's been a lot of fun just running through the first, <coughs> excuse me, 32 games of the NCAA tournament. Follow him at Jared Lee Smith on Twitter. Follow our podcast at full underscore slate underscore pod. Shoot me a follow at G underscore Frank six at undercover Greg as well for my gambling picks. Jared, thanks a lot for the time. This was fun. I'm sure we'll catch up again. Absolutely, guys. I appreciate the venting session here. Let the madness begin. <laughs> all right. He's Jared Smith. I'm Greg Frank. Thanks to our jack of all trades, Alex Uplinger, for setting this up as well. This has been Full Slate, a Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. Happy March Madness to all. And, of course, please play responsibly.